welcome to mini episode 67 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? I've got two gorgeous listener stories for you today. Are you ready? Never ready. And story number one comes from Annie. In 2012, I lived in Shepherd's Bush in London in a massive Georgian terraced house. I say massive because the house had me and 11 other housemates. It was pretty big. Luckily, I got on really well with all the housemates. Okay, except one, but there's always that one, isn't there? There were seven bedrooms in this house, and all couples lived there except me and one other person. Oddly enough, the same housemate that was the odd one. So it was a pretty busy house a lot of the time. It wasn't on the main road, it was a road off it, so there were never any big trucks going past, and there weren't any bus routes down the road either. It was an old house, so things like noises, settling floorboards sounding like footsteps and flickering lights could be put down to age. So I won't document all of those happenings, because I can easily rationalise them away. One day I was home on my own, well I thought I was on my own. I went downstairs to the living room to watch some TV on my lunch break. All of my housemates had 9-5 to jobs. I was the only one who worked from home a few days a week. One couple were students, but they were medical students, so were often out all hours too. On my way into the living room, something moved in the kitchen. I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I thought maybe someone had come home for lunch, which wasn't unusual. So I backtracked a step to call out, Hiya, into the kitchen. There was a shadow at the edge of the door in the bit where you could be slightly obscured but not entirely. The shadow was a bit over six foot tall, as it reached just below the top of the doorframe. I'm a very tall girl at six foot four, and it reached about where my own shadow would be if I were standing there. The kitchen was down a step though, so it couldn't have been my own shadow, and besides, it was inside the kitchen, and I'd have seen my own shadow on the wall by the doorframe. I could clearly see the edges of a head, shoulders and an arm. It was the size of one of my housemates. I called out, Hey Rod, I see you. Stick the kettle on, will you? There was no reply. Rod sometimes left his headphones on when he walked home, so I thought maybe he hadn't heard me. I went to walk towards the kitchen, and within two steps the shadow moved across the kitchen and into the wall of the kitchen cupboards. Plain as day. Of course, Rod wasn't there. The kitchen was entirely empty. I tried to play it off to myself as a trick of the light. At this point, I was a total sceptic. My sister and my dad were very into ghosts and my mum not so much. And I was a very logical, science-based person. I thought maybe a bird had gone by the window or something. That wouldn't explain the steady shadow I saw before it moved as there would be no way for that shadow to occur the way the windows and hallway lighting were, but still I chose to ignore that part of logic. I sat in the living room to have some lunch. It was a room with lots of original period features, like a fireplace, blocked off years ago but the mantle was still there, and that decorative cornicing on the ceiling. The ceiling was also really high, so there was room to hang a big chandelier light without it looking odd. NCIS was pretty gripping that lunchtime while I tried to ignore the thoughts of the shadow. Until... The chandelier started swinging. 
At first it was just a little bit. There was a big mirror above the old fireplace, opposite the sofa I was sitting on, so all I could see was this chandelier swinging and the reflection of it. I thought maybe a truck had gone past, and then I remembered they couldn't get down my narrow street. I thought maybe the window was open, and then I remembered it was painted shut. I thought, oh maybe my student housemates were home and in their bedroom directly above the living room. It was that kind of house that someone walking on the floor above would have caused the light to swing a little bit. But then the chandelier started really swinging. It swung so hard one of the glass crystal pendants hanging from it smashed against the decorative plastering on the ceiling and rained down glass dust onto the wooden floor. So it was swinging almost 180 degrees side to side. I got freaked out and ran up to knock on my student housemate's bedroom door. I kept banging on the door so they knew it was an emergency and not someone just offering a cup of tea or something. Nothing. I checked the door. And it was locked. I stayed in my room for a few hours. My bedroom was above the front door and my bed right up against the window, so I could easily see anyone coming or going and I felt the front door slam every time because it kind of stuck so you had to shove it, which rattled my bed and my window frame. I saw two people coming home a few hours later. It was the students. They had been out since 7am. I watched out of my window some more. Everyone else always got home around the same time, and I counted them in the house, all 11 of them. There had been no one in the house with me all afternoon. That evening I told my housemates about the creepy things I saw and wondered if they had seen anything at all. They were all joking about it and thought I was imagining things or just making it up. A week or so passed and nothing really happened. I'd get the chills when I was in the kitchen alone but I put that down to my brain overreacting. Then we were celebrating one of our housemates' birthdays. All 12 of us sat in the living room with cups of tea and a massive birthday cake. There was nobody else in the house, just all of us in the same room. I saw the reflection in the mirror a split second before I saw the chandelier move slightly. I said, look, do you see that? They all thought I was kidding, trying to wind them up. Then all 12 of us watched in disbelief as this chandelier went from a tiny sway to the hard 180 degree swing again. Everyone screamed and ran for the door to get out of the room. Three housemates went towards the kitchen. The kitchen door was never closed, ever. The reason the kitchen door never closed was because a previous housemate had locked it open with a cable bicycle lock and nobody knew the combination to undo it. Before they reached it, it slammed shut in their faces. We checked the lock and the door once the terror had slightly dissipated. Where it had been looped on through an old metal hoop that had obviously been used to keep the door open before with a hook and loop type mechanism, the metal ring had been pulled out of the door. It hadn't fallen, it wasn't worn, it was pulled out as if someone had physically slammed the door so hard it came out. The other end of the cable lock had been looped around a pipe that was painted white. The pipe had popped out of its wall clip and the paint chipped off where the cable lock had pulled it. Within three weeks, I was the only original housemate left in the house. 
One of them tried to get their stuff that was stored in the basement, but ended up leaving it because of the weird noises and cold creepiness they felt. This could have been their imagination, but the boiler system was down there, and it was really stuffy and hot all of the time. I stayed a few months more until the end of my lease. I didn't tell the new housemates about what had happened. One new girl left within two weeks of moving in because she thought we were harassing her by whispering outside her bedroom door at night. Another new couple swore someone had walked through the kitchen when they got home late at night and, like me, they had gone to say hi only to find the kitchen empty. I wouldn't have believed what happened if other people hadn't seen it too. We all tried to rationalise it, like a heavy wind slamming the kitchen door, but there was no wind and no windows or back door were open. The lock was really securely fitted, so it hadn't just finally given up the ghost, as it were, at a coincidental moment. Nobody could explain the chandelier either. They tried, but no explanation presented itself. I still have a healthy level of rationalism about my life. Sometimes I get the same eerie stomach sink that I felt when I saw that shadow, like I'm being watched but I don't feel scared. My sister, who is very into all things paranormal, did a sage smudge when I moved home because several things broke or electrical appliances fused within a few weeks of me moving in. She thought I'd brought something with me, and things turned up where I didn't leave them, but I put that down to absent-minded moving house brain, while she thought it was some sort of spirit. Things stopped turning up in odd places, and the sinking feeling went away for a while, but it came back eventually. I now have a dog and a cat, and sometimes they'll act as if someone stood in the doorway, but it's not a bad thing. The dog usually fetches a toy and drops it at where I can only assume its feet are, and the cat just meows a bit, staring at the specific same place. I don't get creeped out, and this pet behaviour could also just be nice but dim pets. Or I could have something with me that just watches. I don't know. This sounds like some serious haunting stuff going on here. Because chandeliers are very gothic and dramatic, aren't they? And they, you know, traditional haunted house stories have a chandelier in them, I feel. Very Phantom of the Opera energy. Kind of like was the ghost trying to use the chandelier as a weapon to commit murder because that is very Phantom of the Opera energy and I'm here for it. I have to say, there is something about this story that concerns me more than the haunting. And that is the possibility that I was the odd housemate in all of the houses that I lived in. I was thinking about this while we were doing the story and I was like, God, you know, I don't really think I've ever had like a particularly odd housemate. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) My fascination with the chandelier is more of the fact of how the spirit was doing it. So do we just presume that the spirit has the energy to move it or is the ghost actually swinging from the chandelier? Oh, um, either way, that is impressive, isn't it? Because we, when we talk about like the pseudoscience of ghosts where people say it takes, you know, on ghosts and shows where they're like, oh, the energy it takes to tap and knock. How much fucking energy does it take to swing a chandelier like that? That's that's the question. And to rip a door from a from a lock on a pipe. That's some scary stuff and I don't blame the people for moving out. Quite telling, I think, the fact that 
you know, all of them saw it happen and then all of them left within three weeks apart from Annie. Because <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? Like, you'd think, is this house, is this really worth it? Because I'm shitting myself all the time. I think I'd just be scared all the time. And that's no way to live. No way, man. I feel like the chandelier swinging would be kind of dramatic and scary in the moment. But it's the lingering shadow in the kitchen that's more terrifying to me because that's the one that you're going to have the chance encounter with when you're on your own, isn't it? If a swinging chandelier is scary, really scary, and would really freak me out, and I definitely would move, but you can just leave the room. Mm, true. And that chandelier is unlikely to follow you. <laughs> and story number two comes from Katie. Since I was around seven and possibly before, I've experienced unexplained events of various sorts. This first event begins when I was seven and continues throughout my life. I remember it very clearly as I have been blessed or cursed with an eidetic memory, to the degree that if I can remember the colour of one's shirt, I can remember a conversation word for word. In 1987, I was seven years old. I remember it being a Thursday and being very excited because my mum had just approved a sleepover at my cousin's house the following day. That Thursday, one sleep away, I had difficulty falling asleep. When I finally succumbed to the Sandman, I slept soundly. However, upon awakening, I felt confused and disoriented. I had the most realistic dream of my young life to that point. It was not long, but I can still remember the coolness of the rain on my skin and the earthy smell of spring foliage and moisture. I was watching, as if from above, my family gathered around in a circle. There was a feeling of heaviness in the air. My entire family was there except one uncle. He lived a bit far away and so I assumed that this was a coincidence. And the kids, myself and my cousins. It felt so incredibly real and I couldn't comprehend as I woke up why I was teleported from one place to another and I couldn't figure out which one was real. I remember expressing this dream in detail to my mom. As the day progressed, the dream faded. I busied myself with attempting to curb my enthusiasm, and I was looking forward to the promise of popcorn, chocolates and fun with my cousins. About an hour before we were to leave, the phone rang. My mom answered and her mood changed considerably. The call was from my aunt. My uncle, the one missing from my dream was killed in a plane accident while practising for an air show. He was in the Air Force. A few weeks later, my family without the children went to his funeral on the other side of the state. This would explain the dream. Ironically, my mom had described to me later that it was pouring down a cold rain at the funeral. About a year later, when I was around eight, my other uncle, his brother, got married. I remember this day so clearly. I was not in the wedding but I had a part and I was gifted a beautiful new dress. Something that, due to growing up poor, was a luxury to me. The wedding colours were lavender and silver. Remember, this was the 80s. My dress matched the colours, had tiny lavender roses on it with puffed sleeves and a lace trim. They even bought me special shoes and dyed them lavender to match the dress. The wedding was boring, mainly because I was eight. But afterwards came the reception, and I was so excited to be going to a giant party. Now, I should stop here and explain that my mom was the only one of our family to have gotten divorced. Her family was very proper, 
and these things were just not done. Due to this and the fact that my mom had married outside of her race, my mom and subsequently myself were shunned. Sometime after the dinner I became bored with watching everyone dance. My cousins were all playing together and made it clear that I was not invited. I became upset and sad until my uncle, the one who was dead, came and grabbed my hand and danced with me. We danced for hours. I remember him lifting me up and swinging me around. I remember the smile and the glee on his face. I remember the silly songs and the joy. Only I couldn't remember these things, right? He died a year earlier. This is something that I so vividly remember that I have argued with my mom all my life, convinced that this wedding took place prior to him dying. I confirmed just last year at my uncle whose wedding it was that it was the year after. Fast forward to my teenage years. I became acutely aware that the treatment from my family to myself was not right. I began having dreams of my uncle who passed, and these dreams always felt the same. They are hyper-realistic to the point that I can smell where I am and feel temperature. I am always, always confused when I wake up. These dreams almost always involve him telling me to step away from my family. He tells me that I am better than them and I do not need this treatment in my life. They were not nightly, but they were often enough to make an impact. For years I thought this was my psyche that was talking, my conscience attempting to tell me what would make me happy. Until recently. But I'll get to that in a minute. When I was 18 I began keeping a dream journal. This was for super realistic dreams so that I could go back and review them at a later time or if I had a deja vu moment. When I was 20 I moved from Washington State to New York. This was my first big move away from home. My first fly or fall chance if you will and I was incredibly nervous. The night before I left I had another dream and this one was different. My uncle and I were walking through what at the time I assumed to be Seattle. Not talking just enjoying each other's company. Out of nowhere, a small plane hit a building. People were screaming and running and dying everywhere. My uncle looked at me, smiled and said, Don't worry, you're going to be fine. I thought it was odd, but I assumed he was referring to my move. I woke up feeling his love and protection for me amidst the chaos. This was written down in my dream journal. Only I had forgotten that I had written it. I moved to New York. And while I didn't fail, I also didn't really fly. I survived, but barely. A year later, I moved back to Washington. And the date was September the 10th, 2001. A few months after I moved back, my mom was cleaning out her storage and found my dream journal, which I had left behind. And just out of pure curiosity, I began looking at it. There, the last entry, was this dream of my uncle and I walking through the city. I had that dream on September 11th, 2000. Puzzle pieces began fitting together, but my scepticism made me continue to go, Oh, that's weird. The dreams continued sporadically after that. I stepped away a bit from my family and thought for a while that this was the reason why. I became a nomad for a while trying to find home. I'd move here for a year and then move back, only to move somewhere else. I believe I was trying to find myself. 
The day after I moved back to Washington from Hawaii, I reconnected with my family. Now at this time I was older and had developed into a realist instead of someone with fanciful thoughts, wishes and dreams. Getting married and pursuing an adult life was the furthest thing from my mind. My father had been married eight times by this point and I saw no point in the institution of marriage. I was young and free and that's all I was looking for. About a week after I moved back, my cousin called me and said there was a man she wanted me to meet. I sucked it up to save face and agreed to meet this friend of hers. But I didn't actually meet him until very recently. This man was provided a picture of me and had showed his roommate. And his roommate refused to let him meet me, simply stating that I was the woman he had waited for his whole life. The day after we met, I had another dream of my uncle. He looked at me simply stating, Who did you meet today? Laughing and then stating, You know you will never get rid of him. I tried everything to get rid of him. But blah blah blah, yucky love story, we will be married for 13 years this year. My husband met my family and shortly after it became apparent that they were still bigoted. We endured their treatment for a short period of time and then stepped away again temporarily. After our first child was born, I attempted to reconnect as much as possible with my family, not for my sake but for my child's, as I believed at the time that my kids should know their family and be allowed to form their own opinion. Every once in a while I would have dreams of my uncle telling me that I needed to step away and that I needed to stop attending family functions including holidays. I will admit I can be stubborn, so I ignored them. As I mentioned before, in the back of my mind, I assumed that these dreams were my own conscience or suppressed thoughts. That is, until my husband woke up one morning with the oddest look on his face. I asked him what was wrong, and my husband tells me that he had the weirdest dream about my uncle, who is currently alive. He said that in the dream he was walking down the street pushing our son in a buggy and my uncle was driving past. He stopped and got out of his vehicle to speak with my husband. My husband said there was no hesitation in his voice. He walked up to him, looked at him dead in the eye and said, I don't want you to attend any family gatherings ever again. My husband in the dream thought he was screwing with him so he replied, Yeah, okay, whatever. My uncle looked him dead in the eye and said, I'm serious, no more, ever, none of you. He turned and walked back to his vehicle And then my husband tells me what was really weird about the dream is that he opened the door and before he got into his vehicle, every car that passed honked and then saluted him. Now keep in mind, my uncle that is currently alive has never been in the military. And then he told me that when he woke up, he sat up disoriented and awed and what looked like my uncle but younger and thinner and with more head hair was sitting next to him on the bed. then it hit me. The dreams were not just dreams. These dreams were what I believe to have been a conduit for my uncle to talk with me. And the person that my husband dreamed about wasn't my uncle who was alive, but my uncle who had died. Not too long after that, an incident occurred at a family event that led me to cut all ties with them. When I was pregnant with my second child, the dreams rapidly escalated. I was having them nightly. No words were exchanged. 
It was just him staring at me and then raising an eyebrow. They became a nuisance. And they continued for about four months, nightly, until I looked at my husband one day and stated that our child needed to be named after him. That night, they stopped. His first name is Angel, and we named his middle name after my uncle. Months went by, with no word from my uncle, and then years, and no word. I found myself missing the connection and the interaction. By the time my youngest was two, he was obsessed with planes. He loved them all, and all he wanted to do was fly. At about three and a half, we were discussing the Thunderbird planes, which my uncle flew. And my youngest looked at me and said, Mom, I can't ever fly again. I asked him why, and he replied, Because I died in a plane. And that was the last time he ever spoke about flying. And I have never heard from my uncle after that. With every passing story that we get about a child that says something that makes no sense other than in the context of it being a past life, I am more and more convinced that there is something to past life theory and that when you are a child, you are closer to being able to recall that than you are as an adult. It freaks me the hell out, but there is no other option here. It's such an interesting story, isn't it? Because I do I do think that like like we spoke about with the uh telephones and um the dead calling people who they had um loved ones or whatever if they were ever if the dead were ever going to be able to try and communicate with us why not through telephone but also why not through dreams why not like i really i really believe that you know because i i just think it's 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 a state of being where humans are vulnerable but also you just go with the flow in your dream don't you like you just you just accept what's happening around you so it's probably if you maybe if if you saw your uncle in real life you'd be like whoa I've seen a ghost so you're just going to ignore it but seeing it in a dream you'd probably be more likely to listen and pay attention well you're often there in the moment aren't you is the dream whatever character you're playing that is that is what you're experiencing so there are there's no sort of logic until you get to that stage where you're coming out of it when you start to realise that it is a dream. So that makes perfect sense. This is my new created word of the week. I'm not entirely convinced that it is an actual word, but I'm going to use it anyway. These are premonitive dreams. You you use a different word every time you say a word that is based around premonitions. Premonitory. You've definitely used that that before. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a strong element to the to of premonition, there you go, to Katie's dreams in that they seem to have resonance beyond the dream world. They just fascinate me, dreams do, in sort of a we're never gonna know the answer to this because we just don't understand what's going on with them really, do we? No, well I think just the brain is too complex, isn't it? It's like I'm sure there's whole branches of scientists that their whole life is dedicated to studying dreams, but I'm not entirely sure how much you can really understand about it, but it's fascinating. I was in bed the other night, not able to sleep. It was like one o'clock in the morning and I was looking up past life regression hypnosis because <laughs> I was like, wow, I could get that done for a Patreon episode. <laughs> I can't find anyone locally that does it. Would you believe? So, uh, yeah, if anybody in the Kent area knows anybody who does past life regression hypnosis, hit me up. 
because uh, I want to try that thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash reallifeghoststories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.